2: It's hard not to add a
3: side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you
2: get home.
1: This episode is brought to you by Smart Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss, the lore in the making. Luckily... Smartfood popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart decision every time. Smartfood, add smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com.
2: Hi, this is the Olive Magazine podcast, your weekly roundup of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine. I'm Janine Olive's food director and the podcast host, and this is episode 100. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Some of the team are here with me today. Um, now, we started the podcast back in April 2016 with an episode on biscuits, Slovenia and coffee. And I think that really represents the diversity of subjects on the podcast since then. The reason the rest of the team are here today is they, they appear regularly on the podcast and listen to it. And they've all got their favorite episodes that they wanted to talk about because there's, apart from today's episode, 99 brilliant half hour long episodes that you can go and listen to um so here are the recommendations so we'll start off with the olives editor laura
1: so yeah hello <laughs> um, i picked 53 which was an episode with max from max's sandwich shop uh big l from meantime brewery and uh, lovely riannon our travel editor and amanda who's now our digital assistant and cookery assistant um I felt, again, that was a really, really good representative of everything that we do. Um, Food, drink, travel, lush. Um, When we first set up the podcast, there weren't that many food podcasts around that were, like, really down-to-earth, fun, talking to a wide range and diverse range of people. And I just felt like it was a really good... um, i felt like we were doing something really really different you had like the food program which is on radio four which is very very good at what it does but it's very serious um and there's a place for that but i wanted to laugh when i was listening to a food podcast and i still wanted to learn and i wanted to listen to passionate people and hear their interesting stories and i think that this episode really really does that um max is so so interesting he's like a proper geezer as is big Owl, which is on later in the episode um I just love how he argues with you from the off. Um, (laughs) He um, argues about the location of his shop. He if anybody knows him in the food world, he's quite a controversial character. Um, He sort of rants and rages against cheese or sourdough and you get a bit of that in the podcast too. But um, I just love his story. I love like how he meanders randomly from like publishing to sales, then to be a chef, then to open up this, what is now like a proper iconic London institution. Um, And he's got a bit of a mutley laugh, which I really love. It's really endearing. Um, And we've got probably his most famous creation in our May issue, uh, which is out soon. That's a British themed issue, and it's in our mashup slot. It's his ham egg and chip sarnie which we talk about in this episode. It's like un- anything, unlike anything you've ever tasted. Um, and if you see the recipe in the issue, it does look like a bit of a well, a massive faff. I'm going to put it out there because there's so many bits to the recipe, but it's incredible and it's so so worth it. And we're massive advocates of Olive of making like a sandwich, a proper meal, and spending time on it because it's a beautiful thing. Um, so he talks about, you know, his own ham hock, his lily, these incredible, super crispy little matchstick fries and the best invention ever, a malt vinegar mayonnaise. It's so good. Um, so, yeah, it just made me hungry. It made me laugh. I learnt loads from him about why catchers a brilliant um, sandwich loaf. Um, and, yeah, you just, you wouldn't hear... You wouldn't hear anyone like him anywhere else, I don't think. Um, He's just really interesting, a great storyteller. He could tell me about making a cup of tea or going to Tesco's and I would be equally enraptured with him. So, yeah, love him. Um, And then you've got Rhiannon, our travel editor, and Amanda talking about the Pyrenees. And I know I'm biased because she's one of our team, but I just think Rhiannon is so, so good at what she does. You know, lots of magazines and websites do touch on travel, but I think she's got this really unique way of blending food and travel you know there's nowhere that we put on our website or in the magazine that doesn't have really great eats and drinks and she really uh, speaks evocatively on the podcast about the Pyrenees you, you know you just want to book it straight away after listening I learned about how you can't uh, call Pano chocolat that in the south of France you have to call them chocolatines um, which is really cute and you know about one of the people she met making homemade Nutella and chocolates and all the locally grown blueberries the tarts the liqueurs the cakes the gatos you know I just wanted to spit my next holiday so that's why I loved her and then Big Al I mean he as what happens is we find these characters like Max like Big Al like some of the other people you guys are going to mention in a minute and we keep bringing them back because they're so, so brilliant. Um, so he's talking to us about beer and cheese and there's another episode uh, that we have of him that you should definitely <laughs> listen to, but, you know, like, who knew? Beer and cheese go so well together. Um, and with Big Al, you, like, you wind him up and then you let him go. He just doesn't stop talking. And it's all so interesting and I just really love that. Um, so we learned about unpasteuried cheeses mm-hmm. and unpasteurized beers, how, like, IPA can go with a really mature, what he calls, like, a clicky, Cheddar, which I love that kind of terminology. Um, I just want to be his pal. Um, He knows his stuff and he makes it really accessible. It's no snobbery. Proper down to earth. And yeah, I love him. So I love all the geezers and uh, lovely Rhiannon in that episode. So that's my favourite. Episode 53.
2: Thanks so much, Laura. Um, And just a heads up, Big Al is back. And Max Max is back. Max is back later on in this episode. Um, I'm actually talking to him about his new book. Um, and about sexy leftovers. Only Max could come up with it. <laughs> um, including how to make a sandwich out of leftover spag bol. It's genius. Um, and then um, Big Al is back. We've got a beer special coming up to um, tie in with our craft beer lowdown that's coming up in the magazine. or That's out in the magazine now. Um, so yeah, look out for that too. So on to Adam.
3: Hi guys. Um, so... My favourite podcast is, kind of seems a little bit selfish after all that. Um, it's basically the fact that, you know, we often get the chance to go and speak to really cool people about subjects that we're really interested in. Um, and I got to do that with a guy called Francisco Magoya in episode 91, um, who's the author of Modernist Bread. Um, and they basically between him and uh, Nathan Mervold, um, who originally had a tech company which he sold to Microsoft, and then now they look at food in like a scientific way got like laboratories in, um, in, in the US and they like break cooking down and do experiments and it's like a really intriguing modern way of looking at food and like it's like chemical level like doing all these really cool things and uh, they did it with uh, bread um, which is a subject close to my heart so I love that um, and yeah, it was just like 20 minutes of just chatting to someone who was so knowledgeable and endearing and nice and... Um, I just think that's, like, such a privilege to get to do, you know? Um, Just to chat about a subject for, you know, a while about something that you really care about. Um, We talked about, like, the history of bread, like, where it came from, because it's, like, a bit of a misconception that bread was always better in the past. It's, you know, that's, like, held up in great esteem, but actually it was, like, a sustenance thing. It didn't have much water in it. um, And actually bread of now is actually probably better than it's ever been but uh barring the like and we talked about all that sort of you know white bread uniform loaves and like sliced white basically which is like pumped full of not very nice things and it's uniform and it's like fast and it's like talks about that commercial culture of like wanting everything now and wanting everything the same and wanting it perfect and um cheap most importantly um Yeah, and uh, yeah, it was just like a a real privilege to get to talk to him, to be honest. And that's, yeah, that was my favourite podcast.
2: Thanks, Adam. What what number of podcasts was that again? 91. (laughs) Great, thanks. And now on to web editor Alex. Your
4: choice. So I really enjoyed episode 95. I actually texted Janine after I, I'd um, listened to it because it was just so brilliant. And it's called Why Goats Should Be On Your Shopping List. It was quite provocative, but uh, I think quite iconic for us so as Janine and um, owner of Cabrito, which is um, Billy Goat's company. Uh, he's called James Wettler. They addressed quite a taboo subject of the dairy industry, but also gave so much insight into the Billy Goat industry as a whole. And I also loved how James went on to speak a bit more informally um, about how goats and humans have adapted together and lived alongside each other. So it made me realise how clever those unassuming little goats are. Um, and just to add also, I loved... Um, interviewing Mariana Levaditaki on episode 91, who's the head chef of Marito Hackney, because she had some fascinating and funny anecdotes about growing up as a fisherman's daughter in Crete, including getting told off for hanging 80 octopus to dry on her mother's washing line. So I thought that was quite funny.
2: (laughs) Thank you so much, Alex. And now on to Ellie, our editorial assistant.
1: Hello. Um, So my favourite podcast is episode 88, and that is with Ed Kimber aka okay, The Boy Who Bakes who we all love at Olive and it is a baking and chocolate special which are two of my favourite things anyway so I'm going to love them. Um, I think, so Ed talks about his travels that he went around last year so new york tokyo paris and you can tell that he's just so passionate about baking and also traveling and it will make you want to jump on a plane and go to all those places um so he talks about the different trends in each of those cities and the different styles of baking and yeah it's very evocative and it makes you want to go and eat all the laminated pastries from supermoon in new york yeah thanks ellie um
2: Someone's just reminded me as well that talking about Marito, we've got an event coming up this summer, which is um, a kind of supper club with them that readers can get involved in. So just look out online on olivemagazine.com for that. Um, So on to the episode. Um, So as I said before, I'm talking about Sexy Leftovers and how Max managed to write a book about sandwiches. It's not just about sandwiches. It's about so many different things. In fact, it's almost like Delia's cookery course in terms of but but kind of in a crazy way like it'll tell you how to make brawn it'll tell you how to make your own mayonnaise it'll also tell you how to make the best sandwiches in the universe and then what to do with them with your leftovers and how to make sandwiches out of them and then apart from that we've got Alex again talking to Rhiannon and I think you've got a little travel special haven't you?
4: Yes, we're talking about how we do travel at Olive because it's quite unique. Um, so, yeah, and also some of our favourite trips and some trips coming up. So, to entice you a little bit.
2: There's so lots of great foodie things to listen to. So, thanks very much, team. And um, on to the podcast. <laughs> Hello, so I'm here with Max Halley of Max's Sammages, also known as the Willy Wonka of the Sammage world. <laughs> I don't
0: know, that's what
4: I
2: call him. Um, we're sharing a mic today because some idiot left a lead back at the office. I, I, so
0: it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: and we're here to talk about Sammages and the most exciting news, which is that Max has actually got a book out. and. Um, as we speak, it's about to be couriered over from his publishers in the King's Roads. It might arrive when we're on air. But anyway, how are you doing, Max?
0: Yeah, Brilliant. Uh, I'm quite frankly, I'm having one of the best days ever. If it does actually arrive, the physical copy, whoa, I'm talking to you. So um, imagine
2: a world where um, people don't know who you are. <laughs> I know that sounds really weird because I think everyone in London knows who you are. But like, so um, tell people what you do at max's sandwiches
0: <laughs> we try to make the best sandwiches people have ever eaten yeah. um i could almost go as far as to say we obsess about making the best sandwiches that people have ever eaten uh i have a long background in cooking in restaurants in working in restaurants generally um and i felt when like just, before opening Max's Sandwich Shop, or my sandwich shop. So I'd had all these great chefs teaching me how to cook and how to make delicious plates of food. Mm-hmm. And there'd already been the sort of burger renaissance and, you know, all these kind like Yanni, meat liquor Yanni had sort of changed the burger. And I felt that, the sandwich was sort of woefully left by the side and was still a, a bit sad. Sandwiches were a bit sad; they needed looking after. And so, I thought I would turn my attention to upping the sandwiches' game.
2: Can you just remind us your your secret six things that make the best sandwich?
0: Yes, so I and mean, it's not just sandwiches. It's actually it's really like any plate of food would benefit from them. So yeah, my my little checklist of six things. Every sandwich we've ever had on the menu at the sandwich shop has adhered to these six things, which are hot, cold, sweet, sour, crunchy, and soft. The secret of delicious.
2: And every single sandwich that you sell has got one of those elements. Uh, Yeah, All of those elements.
0: uh, Yes, exactly, has all of those elements. Like one thing, that's not necessarily six separate things, like uh, a gherkin might be crunchy and sweet or whatever. Um, But yes, that within the contents of the sandwich, there are those six things always.
2: And so how long have you been going for now?
0: Three and a half years.
2: And when did you first incubate the idea
0: of a book... (laughs) <laughs> of a book uh well the sandwich shop has gone really well and I think that sort of better than I could have better than I even though I opened it better than I even hoped it would and I think that that I had you've got to wonder why right and obviously it's like I'm good at selling it well, and it's a nice place, and the music's good and stuff. But fundamentally, it's because we make amazing sandwiches. (laughs) And I think that it was when the sandwich shop, when it dawned on me how well it was going, Mm. that I sort of thought, you know, maybe I have figured something out about sandwiches, and that maybe I should write a book about that and try and give it... Because now, to, to get the benefit of it, of what I've figured out about sarnies, you have to come to the sandwich shop. And I really like the idea that everyone could just know about the things that I've figured
2: out. Are you not worried about kind of giving all of your secrets away? Because you give a lot away.
0: Yeah, I give away everything. (laughs) It is every, every recipe of everything we've ever done at the sandwich shop is in there. And no, I'm not in any way whatsoever afraid of giving my secrets away. Um, They're not secrets. Like, I'm not. I'm not cooking anything that like people have never made before. You know, I'm not like breaking. not like Heston Blumenthal breaking boundaries and sphericalizing them uh, in mean, calcium alginate and uh, whatever. You know, I'm cooking ham hocks and making crisps and making piccalilli and making mayonnaise and baking for catcher. And it's about. How I put how how they're put together, mm. as much as what they've got in them, and I think that I don't know, I don't want to sound like an idiot, but I I would genuinely like we everyone eats sandwiches, right? Ev, everyone all over the world It's like a global thing. Stuff wrapped in gluten is a global phenomenon, and I love the idea that. I might be able to help make all or any of them better for everyone. From, like, I wrote in the book somewhere, I can't remember where, just about, you know, it's like this is sandwiches from the kids' lunch boxes to sandwiches you make to eat on the train to, you know, and then sandwiches more like my ones from the shop that could actually be your dinner. And
2: I mean, the nice thing about them, I think, is for example, with the ham egg and chips, which we're going um, <clears> to <throat> run in Olive Magazine. Very proud to run that recipe because it it's the classic of Max's Salmon Shop. Yep. Um, but you do say, obviously, it's made up of malt vinegar mayo, shoestring fries, fried egg, piccalilli, ham hocks and focaccia. And, and you've got recipes for all of those in your book. But you do say, look, you can go out and buy piccalilli, You can go out and buy mayo and mix vinegar with it. You know, you can buy focaccia, basically. Yeah.
0: Yeah, or you can buy bread, you know, like I always like think those mini chia batters you can get in the supermarket are really good. They're very close to what we make here, that they've they got crust everywhere, is the secret, because I'm, um, I don't know how to say this politely, I'm, like, I'm a heavy condimenter. <laughs> uh, I believe in a sufficient condimenting. Um, and, you know, like, sliced bread is often, not always at all, but often not very good for that. But It goes soggy real quick and it rips really easily when you try and butter it and stuff. Um, and I think the first, so the, the second half of the book is quite, you know, it's like a serious cookbook that I wrote with my, got my friend Ben Benton helped me write because he's the best cook I know. Um,
2: let's talk about the second half of the book I, I've read the book today I've, I've got an illegal copy which I it's not an illegal copy no. <laughs> but, uh, I've got con- contraband <laughs> copy that um, when when you when we get advanced copies of a book they send over the publisher sends over a PDF um, so we can choose what recipes we want to use for it so we can read it and obviously like you don't want to read 300 pages on a screen so I've, I've printed it out um, so I've got a, like marked up copy here with all of my little scribbles on the second half of the book is like Delia's cookery course on crack it's like it tells you how to make brawn it tells you how to make porchetta it tells you how to make chicken liver parfait confit tuna um kimchi all as ingredients in a sandwich
0: everything so Ben and I like I wrote a little introduction to the second half of the book kind of introducing Ben saying, why was he doing this with me and all this kind of stuff. And there's a line in that where I say... Oh, that's Darren over the road. Can you hear his tunes? Um... (laughs) Um, Where... So, uh, loads of the stuff in the second half of the book are things that are completely delicious as meals in their own right, like nothing to do with sandwiches. And... I wrote in there that Ben and I feel really strongly that... Well, firstly, that leftovers is a great place to start yeah. with making amazing sandwiches. But that we love the idea of encouraging people to cook a delicious dinner for tonight with a sandwich in mind for tomorrow. <laughs> and, like, it's like... an advert. <laughs> yeah. But, it like, that's what... That's... The easiest way, I think, to get yeah. to, to for people to like up the Sarny game at home a bit. Mm-hmm. That like rather than thinking of like ham and cheese and a pickle or something. Or
2: well, that leftovers are just the same thing warmed up yeah. again. Yeah,
0: right. That you yeah, exactly. That you can you can repurpose your leftovers into an amazing sandwich. And like I wrote somewhere else in it about, you know, you've got beef stew, carrots, and leftover potatoes. Mm-hmm. And You know, I'm thinking when I look at a pot of stew in the fridge, I look at a little plate with some leftover potatoes and I look at a little bowl of carrots that nobody ate. I look at that and I'm thinking, well, I could put cumin and lemon juice and parsley on those carrots. I could slice up those leftover potatoes and fry them. I could heat up that leftover stew and mix some of the juice into mayonnaise and i can make myself an amazing sandwich and that's what i want the book to do to it's not about it's not i'm not trying to like prosaically tell people that to make a great sandwich you need to be making your own bread or making your own mayonnaise that you just need to look at your leftovers and what you've got in your cupboards a little bit differently and your sandwiches can be way better than they were before
2: tell us about one of the ones i um hooked on because i'm a massive spag ball fan it's oh, it's, yeah. the,
0: it's the spaghetti bolognese yeah, like leftover stuff it's yeah. sort of classic leftover italian thing tell us how to do it so leftover like regardless of whether you've got your leftover spaghetti in one place and your leftover sauce in another place um Mix them together. Chop through the pasta, so you're looking at let's say it is spaghetti bolognese. So you chop through the cold chunk of pasta that you would have had in a bowl a few times. So it's all
2: congealed. Yeah,
0: because it's all like sexually congealed, <laughs> delicious. Um, and then you find something else that you like: herbs, onions, cheese. I don't eat much cheese, but we can get onto that later. Bloody cheese, if you insist. Um, and then you whisk up whisk up some eggs. And beat your eggs into your leftover pasta. Um, I mean, it is a like frittata, kind of tortilla, omelet-y vibes. I like more pasta, less egg, but like my mum, for example, loves lots of egg. So that it is like a big, a sort of thick set tortilla. So you get a pan on, nice and hot, chuck your pasta, egg, bolognese, herby, whatever you've done to it, mix... Like chili, hot sauce, anything you like. We have a particular affinity for hot sauce, the both of us. I know. Um, and then you lob it in the pan and just treat it pretty much like a like a tortilla or a frittata. So cook it till it's pre- till it's completely set on the bottom plate on top. Turn it over, another plate on top of that. Turn that over and slide it back into the pan on the sloppy side, or put it under the grill. You so you don't have to take it out of the pan at all. Um, and then chop that up and put it in a sandwich.
2: love it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's, not, there's not much in here that you don't turn into a sandwich. There's one called Last Night's Takeaway, which is literally... I love it. It's like whatever curry you had, left over side, the, that bag of salad you always
0: get with it. I love that you always get that little yeah, bag you know, of salad. And it's always got that bit of lemon in it, right? Oh, yeah. and, but I, this is... That's the whole point. It's Why... Why look, why should you look at your mm. leftovers as just a way to make the same thing again? Yeah, yeah. Like,
2: it's when, like sexy leftovers, isn't
0: it? It's, it's like sexy leftovers. It's <laughs> like, it's almost, it's like buying vintage clothes. It's like some, whoever bought that that vintage jacket wore it in one way. And then 30 years later someone new has bought that vintage jacket and is rocking it with something that the the previous owner would never have done with it. But yeah, that you, there's no need to... Just because it was a meal yesterday, it can still be a meal today, but it doesn't have to be the same meal. And I think that's another thing that what the sandwich shop has done, I think, is helped with the idea that a sandwich is a meal. Yeah. It doesn't have to be... Crap and come with a free pack of crisps and a bottle of coke from boots. Like it can be your actual dinner. You know, and like that's what I did here, right? How do I the big problem I thought before I opened the sandwich shop was how am I gonna be how am I gonna persuade people that you can have a sandwich for dinner? And <laughs> you've done it. Well I did it, but do you know but how I did it? I just I just you, didn't open for lunch. <laughs> So, this is a,
2: I love it. You Restricted opening hours, yeah. served, served booze. Yeah. Convinced my husband straight away, because he's sort of like, should we do a Max's? Let's get a Max's. That's like,
0: yeah. I constantly hear that. Make it dog friendly, like all the good things. Yeah, we've got dog biscuits on the bar. I don't know why so many places are funny about dogs. I always say like, he's not cooking the food. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, why would the dog not be allowed in? And I think... Yeah, the Sony shops are everyone. Like sometimes when people say, "Oh God, is it all right if we bring the dog in?" It's like, "Well, they let me in here." <laughs> <laughs> there's also a great
2: because um, at the back you have got all of those fantastic base recipes, but then you have got some cheeky little um, like you do lasagna balls, where oh. you like and you're just like, oh. "Don't you, you know how to make lasagna? Or you've got leftover lasagna? I'm not going to tell you how to make it, but I am going to tell you
0: how to make a ball out of it." Yeah, and that's like there's yeah ben and i sort of felt a lot of that stuff it's about the repurposing of things like it's not about i don't want to tell you how to make lasagna like everyone already makes lasagna or get like it says in um in the resort there's a thing about about making arancini in here that because we had arancini as a snack here at the sandwich shop like a bar snack or whatever you'd call it so one wanted to have an arancini recipe and Better know you're just like it, it's. It, you want Giorgio Locatelli to tell you how to make risotto, you know? What I mean? you know what I mean? Read that. Read what Marcella Hassan says about making risotto, and then we'll tell you how to turn it into balls and deep fry it. Like, and yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that. What? Well, it's not. It's not my place to be telling people how to make risotto. There's a
2: lot. It, I mean, it's very funny as well. The, there's there's lots of like anecdotes in it, like like the famous chef that you had in, who oh, um mix. was um was was absolutely thrilled about the the Bombay <laughs> uh, mix in there's because there's a sandwich called a Baji Smuggler, Did and you get um it? Did you get it? yeah and um well you can tell the story
0: so uh oh no i won't like i won't say where he was tell us who it is no, i can't it's not fair so like yeah he, he, this guy i I don't know i'm at some other table doing something chatting crap to someone and uh and i know who this guy is like and i think i always get really nervous and i'm like and the sandwiches are amazing but i always just think like oh fucking hell that's uh <laughs> oh my god that's whoever from that really fancy restaurant that i love um and so this guy's sitting on the table and he's eating the barge smuggler sandwich. And uh, he called me over. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, are you all right? Is everything all right? He's like, oh, God, what's happening? And he was like, this Bombay mix, Max. I was like, you, yeah. <laughs> and he goes, we make Bombay mix at work and we have made it over and over and over again. And we cannot. Get it this good? How do you do it? And I had to say, we buy it at Tesco's. <laughs> it's like this guy's got Michelin stars, you know what I mean? <laughs> we buy it at Tesco's, and I feel that's what I, f- something I felt so strongly about about the book that yeah. fundamentally it's a sandwich, yeah. and the best, the best place to begin is not to. Tell people then he 's been making their own yeah. bombay mix if this bloke with michelin stars can 't make it as good as whoever Tesco buy it off does why would it, why would you bother mm. and that what I've figured out about sandwiches is as much about putting them together yeah. as about like cooking and things and i I've tried to make sure that like in the first half of the book, which is the sort of my guy. Gar- i've tried to show people that how do i sandwich
2: yeah it's like a guide isn't it because you you, you're talking them through it you're talking them like this is and you and you're telling them the little extra tips and tricks that they need to make to take it from just being a sandwich to being a really really good sandwich yeah exactly
0: like how how to think about sandwiches a bit differently and how to you know like mix everything into mayonnaise whatever it is you're quite yeah you're you're quite a fan of like the mayonnaise hybrid aren't you yeah i I am like nearly anything mixed into mayonnaise is amazing I was trying to i sort of, would I call it an argument, but he did a debate with someone the other day about mayonnaise <laughs> like welcome to my life i 'll sit around at my friend 's houses arguing about mayonnaise um, the mayonnaise is not a condiment when it comes to sandwiches. mayonnaise is like the sandwich mother sauce it 's where everything you it just brings everything together like it prevents dryness in the most extraordinary way. Everything feels, like, juicier and more delicious with mayonnaise. So, and
2: it's a carrier.
0: Exactly. It's, it's, a, it's, an, it's an emulsification and a very fine emulsification of oil and egg yolk. And um, that makes it an excellent vehicle for carrying flavour. And, like, a big part... So, for me... What I was saying before, like this hot, cold, sweet, sour, crunchy, soft Mm. thing, how that, that applies as much to plates of food as to sandwiches. So then it's like, what is the difference between a plate of food and a sandwich? And the difference is that when you are eating a plate of food, you are using cutlery. And so in the nature of eating with a, with a knife and fork you're having a little bit of that from over there a little bit of that from over there a little bit of this from over there a bit more of this or that in in each mouthful you take as you pick it up from the plate whereas in a sandwich you're having all of everything at the same time every time and that's why you need like mayonnaise because <laughs> It means that when you've mixed, if you mix your condiment into mayonnaise, like let, it, bleh, I don't know, I mean anything. Let's say, let's just say mustard. Right? You want a sandwich with lots of mu- you like you want mustard. you It's going to be very unlikely that you're going to be able to get the same amount of mustard in every bite. But once you mix the mustard into mayonnaise, it's much easier to like spread it evenly across everything and also it's like i said in the in that bit the ham egg and chips bit it holds all the crispy things in place like amazing mega food glue or whatever <laughs> I it, and it holds all them chips in place like amazing clever lovely tasty food glue um and that that so mayonnaise as it's helping enjoy the sandwich more as a whole which is a beautiful thing can we talk about drinking Yes, of course.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and I, I've seen on your Instagram that you're you're a fan of some oh, kind of um, maybe they're not unusual, slightly unusual drinks. Yeah. There's the Fernet Branca, Fernet and Coke, Fern, Fern, Fernet, is it? Yeah, Sorry, Fernet uh, Branca, yeah, yeah. Look at this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Oh my God. Oh, okay, Max. Max is holding aloft a giant three litre bottle of Fernet Branca. Uh, I, Fernet Branca took me and. 10 other people, nine other people out for dinner um, to Somsar a while ago. Did you nick it? it I asked for it <laughs> and they said yes. <laughs> uh, and we drank this whole bottle at dinner. In fact, I got something else called actually. Check this out. <laughs> oh, it? Yeah, look. Oh, wow. It's a Fernet Branca coin.
2: It's a special Fernet Branca, looks like. I don't know, what does it get you? Is it like.
0: Free Fernet?
2: free anywhere?
0: We're in places where they know what the coin is.
2: Really? That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's well, like a Nando's black card. Yeah, it's
0: like the <laughs> furnet version of a an Nando's black card. <laughs> it's so sweet. So what is it? It's, mm, well, it's an Italian bitter. So it's from the same family of drinks, as sort of Campari and stuff like that. Oh. But it's much darker, much bitterer. Um, and how do you drink it? Well, you can drink it in just in shots, um, in... Coffee, and then in Argentina, it like the national drink of Argentina is Fernet Concoca with Coke, Fernet and Coke. Um, because it's so bitter
4: yeah.
0: and Coke is so sweet, they kind of yeah, they zen each other out, and you end up like sometimes when people um ask. Like what's it What does it taste like? I describe it as because I think nearly everybody knows what Jägermeister tastes like, right? Shots of Jäger or Jäger bombs or whatever it is. Um, and I, I always say to people, it's like Jägermeister with enormous balls, because <laughs> <laughs> because it is. It's so. And then I also say things like, "Have you brushed your teeth today?" Because like you won't need to later. <laughs> I,
2: And then the other drink that seems to be popular on your Insta is Campari and Orange. Yeah,
0: Campari and Orange.
2: Is that just like an entry-level drink for when you're a little bit hungover?
0: I've got no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) I have never been hungover. (laughs) No, uh, it's just delicious. It tastes like liquid sunshine. And like my dad says... uh, when you stir up Campari and Orange, people think you're drinking grapefruit juice. <laughs> Subterfuge <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah. Underhand breakfast sloshing.
2: Because I, I think as, you know, as someone who's has been to Max's a, a few times, like a part of the beauty of it is... It's the whole thing, including coming and having a couple of beers or a bit of wine and a chat to you, because you're always here.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, I actually like it here. (laughs) (laughs) That's lucky. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, which is lucky, thank God. Um, But, yeah, I think what we're doing here is we're talking about what restaurants are.
2: Yeah.
0: It's, you know, if it was literally just about food... Deliveroo would have taken over the world, wouldn't they? Yeah. And, like, we'd all be sat at home eating the food. But the fact that, like, here is busier than it's ever been. Yeah. And, you know, three and a half years in. Mm. And we all still want to go out and eat. And like you say, it's about the music and the stuff on the walls and the chat with me or with whoever owns the restaurant yeah. you're in or whoever's working there, about the staff, about the environment and the atmosphere, that it's... I think sometimes where restaurants go wrong is that they centre too much on one thing. Like, I love, I give the Marco Pierre White quote in this book, perfection is lots of little things done well. Mm -hmm. It's not about this sort of obsession over minutiae. Mm -hmm. It's about just make sure, like, everything is good. And, of course, like, I'm obsessed with sandwiches and stuff, but I make sure that the people who work here and the music and the lighting and the environment and the atmosphere mm-hmm. and that everything is... It's all important. It's all important. Mm-hmm. It's all in, and I think why... Probably why this... That's got to be one of the reasons why this place has, wor- has worked, <clears throat> why it's gone so well, that... You know, it thinks it's the whole thing is considered. Yeah,
2: definitely. Yeah. So when is when is the book coming out? Is it
0: mid-May, I the think? 17th of May, 2 days after my birthday.
2: And we have the iconic ham Eggs and chips in our May issue, which I think is out at the same time around about the same time. Um so go and buy it, but most of all buy Max's book. It's it's an absolute blinder. It's Seriously, blinder. I love it. I love it. I've I've chuckled my way all the way through it today. And I'm going to get a real coffee. I'm not just going yeah, s- to <laughs> I'm not just going to reorder it on Amazon. I'm not just going to, like, sellotape this together and keep it you on my shelf. I'm going to get this Yeah, yeah, I'll take it down to pronto print now and find it, but yeah. Um, thank you so much once again for chatting to us today, Max. My um, pleasure, thank um, you. And re- really, really good luck with the book and we'll speak oh, soon. Thank you,
0: yes. Thank you very much. I'll speak to you soon.
4: Hi, Alex here, and this 100th episode seems like a good time to introduce our new travel strap line, Affordable Authentic Travel Adventures. So regular readers will know what makes a good olive travel story, but Rhiannon, our travel editor, can you expand on that for people who aren't so familiar with our travel pages? Absolutely. Um, Like most travel sections, we don't have a budget to pay for trips, which
5: I don't think will surprise many readers, listeners. Um, But while we occasionally join a comped group trip, if a trip is genuinely a good fit for us and we think it's a good story, we really try not to do that at Olive, partly because it means we'd be running the same stories as every other magazine and partly because the destinations that have the budget to run those trips tend to be luxury hotels where room rates are way beyond the reach of most of our readers. Um, And partly just Because it would leave us no room for creativity. We like to come up with our own stories at Olive, and we know that if we're excited by a certain destination, then our readers will be too. So we actively generate our own ideas, do lots of research, and then try our best to set up trips where we can cover those ideas. Um, And as we've developed the travel section, the stories that have excited us the most tend to have followed a pattern. They're usually, they're not exclusively at the cheaper end of the scale. They usually have a strong producer element or certainly some creative souls with a good story behind them. And they're really rooted in place, by which I mean, if we're in Italy, we want to track down the most amazing pasta and not a bacon butty. Um, uh, I suppose an example of that, one of the most popular features we ran last year was your Insta-travel feature, Alex, on Utrecht, which was a really good example of an affordable destination with a great food scene that we felt deserved further investigation. Um, and you found some really great places there and it was all the better because you didn't have to fight hordes of tourists to get to them.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of people obviously have been to Amsterdam, but what well, I didn't know, I didn't know anything about Utrecht. I saw, um, I think I saw a post on Instagram and then some one of my friends had been to visit one of her friends and I started looking into it and it's just... It's like, they don't like to be called it, but it's kind of like a little sister of Amsterdam. And there's a reason why people call it that, because it's, um, it's just a lot more... It's just a lot more focused and there's a lot going on there though. So a lot of people uh, go to uni in uh, Utrecht and a lot of people in the Netherlands go there and they're all creatives. So you get this hub of people who have moved there as students and then they stay there and they set up businesses, they set up cafes, they set up bars, restaurants, little boutique shops. Honestly, like the amount of independent shops and cafes that were there was incredible. Kind of on par with Amsterdam but just in a more compact environment and you can actually get there really easily from Amsterdam so even if you're not staying in Utrecht, if you're staying in Amsterdam and you want a bit of a change, you can go there for the day Um, and we went to so many amazing places and uh one of my favorites was this place called Talud 9 T A L U D 9 and it was on the canal it's an amazing coffee shop that turned into a wine bar in the evening they don't have a menu and you just go and uh, say you want a glass of white wine and it's before dinner so what what can you give me and they choose 3 from their um, shelves and they have lots by the glass they bring them over you have a little tasting and then you choose which one you want and also the good thing about it is you don't have to ask the awkward question about price there's just three it's like A, B or C it's not um, marketed like that but so A will be five pounds B will be six pounds etc and it's just got such a lovely environment such a lovely atmosphere and Another of my favorite places is, it sounds quite random, but um, it's an Indonesian restaurant, which you wouldn't expect. um, But there is actually a big um, influx of um, Indonesian immigrants to um, the Netherlands and Utrecht. And it's a place called Blau, B-L-A-U-W. And it specialises in these ri- rich staffel, <laughs> which are rice tables. And you choose from meat, fish or vegetarian options. And the waiters lay out 15 to 20 little ramekins of Indonesian dishes. So it's really hard to choose the best dish really because um, they have glazed goat skewers, chicken skewers with crunchy peanut satay. Um, and then these amazing crisp banana fritters um, for dessert, which were amazing. Um, and then another... Fab place was take coffee buntje. i just wanted to say that word <laughs> um but again that's a really cute little cafe that's been set up by um some people who moved because they were students and it just it's really really lovely and it's very idyllic you could walk everywhere so it just goes to show that obviously Amsterdam's brilliant but if you want to go somewhere a bit more hip and to have you know some recommendations for somewhere a bit under the radar I think it's a really good one um that sounds great and your your other trip that I think really
5: struck me as being a really good example of a a good olive story was Steadstands
4: in the woods in um Sweden tell us a bit about that wow so I just swoon whenever I think of that um when i came back from Stedsons, i really was in one of those states of just complete euphoria and it sounds really wishy-washy and um but it was it was just beautiful and they've actually just reopened for this year and what it is is um it's a food camp um in the woods in sweden next to a lake and um the guys who own it they had a restaurant in copenhagen and we actually did a whole podcast about stedsons um so definitely go back and uh, listen to that but what was so special about there is they've really they've found this amazing spot in the middle of nowhere really and they have foraged their own food so they've created a hyper hyper local um kind of ingredient list and they incorporate that into their menu they cook outdoors and they're developing it constantly so they've actually built cabins just um, a couple of weeks ago so that's really exciting Um, but we I was staying in a tent but it was all very luxurious Um, and you eat outside in this beautiful on this beautiful platform in the woods you have breakfast in the morning with mushrooms that they forage the you know a few hours before um and speaking of mushrooms, actually, we had an amazing dish um I actually went out foraging with Fleming, who is the owner, and we had these found these huge steps um and he then made the, made this amazing. The saute with um the seps and just sorted them in butter with tarragon and a sprinkle of aged parmesan so it's just really really simple ingredients done really well and their ethos is just um so it's that a lot of people are trying to create it at the moment but sometimes it's not that genuine but theirs really is so i really recommend you check them out thank you
5: uh, now i remember we came across that on instagram yes. and um I wanted to kind of touch on that because I think Instagram is an amazing resource. People have started knocking it because they feel it's encouraging people to go to the same places and take the same photos and eat the same things. But you don't have to use it in that way. We've definitely found it helpful to connect with local experts. um, You know, and, and that's what for me good food and good travel is all about is meeting local people and that that's the way that you find the best food stories um just as an example at easter i went to Saint martin the french alps and um had a lovely time visiting local cheese makers but i kept feeling that i was missing a great place for a van show in my long list of wish list food wish food and drink wish list um so i turned to instagram and sure enough i came across a new bar that specialized in different blends of Van Show from white wine ones red wine uh a a non-alcoholic apple just mulled apple juice um and that sort of thing um and they were all, it was very beautiful on Instagram. It had, it showed these mulled wines being ladled out of beautiful copper vats. Um, and I just, you know, I asked around and no, no one seemed to have heard of it because it was so new. So I, without Instagram, I wouldn't have found that. And it was, lovely to find Um, but I think Instagram is also a really good platform for food because when people use it well you get the whole story not just the glossy finished dish that you see on the restaurant website but the whole behind the scenes story of how they grow their produce who their suppliers are which new dishes they're working on and you can really see their excitement about cooking um, beneath that surface spin if you like Um, it's it's a way of scratching beneath the surface Um, brassica restaurant in dorset I, I went to in november and really loved it and i think their instagram feed it is a really good um showcase of that they you know they post new dishes they're serving up um seasonal dishes when they change their menus they show pictures of foraging trips meeting with interesting suppliers they'll talk about how they approach the decor in their restaurant and where they get their inspiration from and other people they admire in the local food community. And it's all very beautifully done. But, you know, as a travel editor, every time I see their photos of, uh, be, it, be it their local landscape looking lovely or their amazing dishes of food they're adding to their menu, I just want to go there straight away. So those things are really useful, I think.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think it is a really brilliant platform. Obviously, everything has its ups and downs. So, um, But just wanting to go back to what you said about all people all going to the same places. Um, Over tourism is like, a huge topic at the moment um, in the travel industry. But Olive, we've always felt that there's another side to be discovered, even in the biggest places, even in um, places that people are going all the time. We always try and find the lesser known spots, don't we?
5: That's right. Um, There is another podcast coming up actually where I talk about a recent trip I went on to Dubai so I won't repeat all of that but that's exactly what I did on that trip was I was trying to seek out the kind of more, well what interested me more about that than the, the food at the big shopping malls and the Big all inclusive resorts. So I wanted to find the food that Dubai's Indian taxi drivers eat, that the Filipino hotel receptionists eat, and the Lebanese students. And um, some of the things I found on that trip were phenomenal, including the best falafel I've ever eaten in my life. (laughs) Um, So you can always have a food adventure, even in the big tourist honeypots um but having said that I'm always reminding myself that you don't have to schedule everything and over plan which is hard not to do on one of these trips because you're always researching so much and you want to see everything and eat everything um but when we had the snow back in March I got stuck at Toulouse airport for two days with my flight just wasn't going um so I spent most of the time just working in the hotel but I also went out on a few walks and I was in I I just started exploring where I was just very nice French suburb so I walked through a park full of families playing out after school I shopped at a small row of local shops and stocked up on some really nice wine and cheese and biscuits to bring home and that, that was just lovely it was it, I felt like I was in kind of true France away from the tourist sites and the tourist sites are lovely at, at the right time and there are some restaurants that you would travel miles to go just to go there but sometimes it's nice just to explore
4: yeah, I think that's really important because just to give yourself a bit of extra time beyond the schedule. I know it's great to find these places and research before, but just see where chance takes you a bit more. Um, so I'm going to Miami later in the year for an Insta travel feature. Um, and I know I'll come across all sorts of places by just doing that because. Miami seems to have changed so much over recent years and there's so much more to it than the glitzy restaurants along South Beach. You know, you've got Wynwood and Little Havana. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, so well, um, I think we'll leave it there. But um, yeah, if anybody wants to... um, follow us on social media all our travels we always do a hashtag olive eats and then followed by the destination so for example hashtag olive eats miami will be my hashtag when i go there um but yeah um if you have any comments and places you want us to check out then get in touch on social media at olive magazine thank you yes i'd say
5: exactly that it'd be really interesting to know where all the listeners would like to go where we're missing and where their great food adventures are so let us know
2: so that was the olive magazine podcast if you like this episode please do head over to itunes and leave a review we'd really love to hear from you for more information on things in this episode you can visit our website olivemagazine.com and you can pick up a copy of our april issue or you can go and download the app version bye for now and we'll be back next week with more food and drink chat